Welcome to the Midnight Podcast. I'm Stories After Midnight, and the story we will be reading today is called The Taxidermied Child. It's from a collection of stories called 54 Sleepless Nights by Tobias Wade that you can actually get on Amazon. Uh, so if you enjoy these stories, consider supporting the author and letting them know by picking yourself a copy. And huge thank you to all my patrons who helped make this episode possible. Let's get going. Before this week, I would have told you that running the acquisitions department at the American History Museum was the best job in the world. Never a day goes by where I'm not learning something new, discovering lost artifacts, which forced me to continually reassess my understanding of our rich culture. Most people don't understand how glamorous the work really is. You have to understand that our donations generally come from extremely wealthy families, each with long histories of their own and treasures which are passed through the generations. These donors are typically motivated by the large tax breaks they receive for their charitable contributions, so I am often flown across the country and treated to the highest comfort that money can buy, no doubt buttering me up in hopes of a favorable appraisal and acceptance of their donation. When I accepted the invitation of Mr. Columny's estate, I had every expectation of the luxury and finery befitting the Tudor-style mansion depicted in the enclosed photograph. From the steep gable roof to the elaborate masonry and embellished doorways, the residence itself was a relic of the unimaginable wealth with which the plantation owners once ruled the southern countryside. Mr. Columny was there to greet me at the end of his cobblestone driveway, hands in the pockets of his pristine white suit, a golden chain dangling from his breast pocket, silk around his neck and a beige fedora with a roguish tilt. He might have stepped straight out of an oil painting from the era. He was gracious to help me with my bags and show me inside, incessant welcome and gratitude spilling from his mouth with a heavily accented drawl. I followed him from room to room, keeping careful tally of everything he was willing to part with. Dark wooden furniture from the West Indies, ornate Baroque chests of drawers, exquisite colonial paintings. He breezed by each of them, as though they were hardly worth the effort of describing. All the while, he continued gesturing me onward, with an almost conspiratorial hush to his voice, promising a prize that he guaranteed was unique to his collection. Everything I saw was of impeccable condition, seemingly untouched by age or refurbishment at least until we reached the worn wooden doorway where his intention was most fixed upon. Opening this with a flourish, he led me inside to a bare and dilapidated room. Once painted red, the humidity in the air had long since stripped all life and color from the walls to leave the most dreadful pale streaks and blotches around us. The sole furniture was a splintered three-legged stool, the sole occupant a small brown-skinned boy sitting atop it. Oh, he's held up well, hasn't he? Mr. Columny said, puffing out his chest with pride. They don't usually last more than a year, you know. The skin discolors something awful and starts to stretch and peel away. It's been over a hundred years since he's died, but he still looks like he could jump up and skip around, doesn't he? I'd never seen a taxidermied human before, and I didn't feel qualified to comment on the condition. He was right about how real it looked, though. I had the most unnerving feeling that the boy was looking right at me, and that if I were to turn away for a moment, I might find him in an altogether different position. A clear stitching was visible in the dark skin, which ran up one side of his body, 
disappeared into his curly black hair and emerged again on the other side. His eyes were made of glass, but a stern judgment still lingered in his furrowed brow, as though he knew exactly what had happened to him and blamed me for his fate. Would you like to know the secret? Mr. Colomney pressed with a hot whisper down the back of my neck. Why the skin stayed so fresh? He waited for a moment and continued without the least bit of encouragement. Even modern taxidermists couldn't preserve someone this well, because they all make the same mistake. They'll wait until the subject is dead to begin the tanning process. Mr. Colomney rolled back on both of his heels, puffing out the gold on his chest and looking immensely pleased with himself. Then, to address the shock and disgust on my face, he added, Don't worry, it was all perfectly legal. The boy was my family's property, after all. It's better than what could have happened to him. Now, wouldn't that be an interesting exhibit in your museum? Still too shocked to address the macabre sight, a professed interest in returning to inspect the rest of the house. Mr. Colomney became indignant, though, insisting that this was his rarest and most valuable possession. I told him directly that our museum would not feature such a disturbing display, visibly angering the man whose voice quivered when he next spoke. He told me that he would give nothing to any museum with such a selective view of history, and that I was no longer welcome in his house. I was only too happy to oblige, grateful for the cleaner air outside that vile room. I left Mr. Columny on no uncertain terms and returned to my museum empty-handed telling nothing of the incident and doing my best to put it out of my mind entirely. That should have been the end of it. But not a week later, I was in my office preparing for a meeting with Professor Horvat of New York's Natural History Museum when someone began to hammer on my door. Before I could welcome my unexpected guest, the door opened and I was confronted with Mr. Columny once more. I don't believe he had changed his clothes since the day I had seen him last. His white suit was dull and stained with yellow sweat, his hair unkempt and greasy. Too surprised to protest, I backed away and made room for him as he entered my office, dragging a luggage cart behind him. The object on the cart was concealed beneath a white sheet, but by its size and shape I could easily guess that the boy was seated underneath. Mr. Columny ducked back into the hall for a moment to ensure his discretion, then returned, closing the door behind. What are you doing here? Get out! Get out! I insisted but he only shooed me away with his hands before sitting heavily before my desk. His face was flushed as though he'd been running, and he seemed to need a moment to catch his breath before he could speak a word. Look, maybe if you scheduled an appointment I could work something in this afternoon, I said trying my best to sound reasonable, although I was trying to think of excuses to cancel, even as I said it. As it is, I'm already expecting... You've got to take him, Mr. Columny interrupted with passion. I can't have him in my house anymore. Not for another night. I won't. Already I could hear voices and footsteps in the hallway outside. The thought of being caught by Professor Horvat with this wretched thing in my office was too much to bear. There's a storm room on the right, I replied, automatically. Hurry now. You can leave it there for the time being, but you must retrieve it this afternoon. Do you understand? And don't think about skirting off either. I know where you live, and we'll have a shift back at once if you do not return. He thanked me profusely and together we wheeled the cart into the adjoining room. There were more questions that I wanted to ask, but there was already knocking on the door, and there was nothing that could be done. Professor Horvat entered, regarding Mr. Columny with surprise and perhaps even revulsion, as my disheveled visitor pushed rudely out of the room. The sudden thunder of footsteps outside indicated that he was running as soon as he got the chance. 
Fortunately, the meeting was otherwise undisturbed, and none of my colleagues were wise to the fact that the taxidermied boy sat concealed in my storeroom. It was no great shock that Mr. Colony failed to return that afternoon, but I was caught up with other appointments and didn't have a chance to dispose of the boy that day. In fact, the whole situation was so out of the ordinary and surreal to me that I hardly thought about it when I returned to work the next morning. When I did arrive, the whole museum was in an uproar over an ongoing school field trip that had misplaced one of its students. The whole building was searched from top to bottom and I was so distracted by the ongoing efforts that I didn't spare a thought about the strange events of the previous day. It didn't return to my attention until I had joined the search, only to find a second taxidermy child in the storeroom beside my office. A little girl beside the boy, with freshly stitched skin running up one side and down the other, with little glass eyes and a little furrowed brow, silently judging me for all the sins I have never done. It wasn't my fault, I told the glass-eyed children. I didn't do anything to either of you, and I would have stopped it if I could, but... But of course, that didn't help them in the least, and they couldn't stay here, and it would only be a matter of time before the missing student was identified. I keep them both in my house now, waiting to hear back from Mr. Columny. The house I visited has been sold already, and I can't exactly ship them back to the innocent people who live there now. I know I should burn them, or bury them, or chop them up, or throw them in a lake. I know I shouldn't feel guilty for what happened to them, but I can't even hide them in the closet without feeling ashamed. Instead, the boy is sitting at my kitchen table, the girl propped up beside the dresser in my room. I didn't do this to either of them, but I know that if I treat them poorly or ignore how they suffered, and I find a third has joined them one day, then that one will really be my fault, and that would be as bad as stitching them up myself. So I wish them good morning and good night. I read to them from the paper, and I keep the light on when they're alone in the room, and I wait for the day their brows are smooth. And I catch them smiling again. That's it. I really hope you enjoyed this story. If you did, consider liking the video. If you're on YouTube, maybe leave a comment or do whatever you can do on uh, the podcasting platforms. I'm not sure what your options are, but either way, I really appreciate you stopping by and listening to this episode. Huge shout out to my patrons who so generously support the Midnight Podcast. I really do appreciate it. And thank you for listening. If you'd like, you can come join our Discord and hang out with us. It's pretty quaint, nothing too big going on, so you won't be bothered too much, which is always nice. Uh, outside of that, I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you in the next one.